Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. And so remember those who gave their all in the cause of unity, in the cause of a nation that endures because of them. We must honor their sacrifice by sustaining the best of America while honestly confronting all that we must do to make our nation fuller, freer, and more just. We must remember that we may find the light and the wisdom and, yes, the courage to move forward in the words of that great hymn, fight as they nobly fought of old. For in remembrance lies not just our history, but our hope, not just our solemn remembrance, but our renewed purpose, not just our solace, but our strength. This Memorial Day, remember that not all of us are called to make the ultimate sacrifice. We all are called by God and by history and by conscience to make our nation free and fair, just and strong, noble and whole. To this battle, may we now dedicate our souls that our work may prove worthy of the blood of our fallen. For this work, the work of democracy, is the work of our time and for all time. And if we do our duty, then ages still to come will look back on us and say that we, too, kept the faith. And there's nothing more important, nothing more sacred, nothing more American than keeping the faith May God bless the United States of America and may the light perpetually shine upon the fallen. May God bring comfort to their families and may God protect our troops today and always. God bless you all. That was President Joe Biden um, delivering his speech, uh, honoring those who lost their lives, which is what Memorial Day is here to commemorate those who lost their lives in battle. Joining us, our resident historian. I've known this man uh, since Don't Know Much About History came out 20-plus years ago. I had a radio show in New York City, and he was a guest on there. And I remember when that book came out, and it is the book is now, was it 30 years old? 31, Karen. Oh, I'm, my goodness. I'm, oh, I'm my goodness. To say. Yes. Obviously written when I was a very small child. Yes, you were you were one. I think you were a prodigy. Let me welcome to the show the one and only Kenneth C. Davis. Hey. Hi, Karen. It's a great pleasure to be with you. And thank you for sharing uh, the president's words. I hadn't heard them before. It was obviously the tail end of his speech, but um, certainly expressing something that I think that I am uh, thinking a lot about a lot these days, especially on this day, because it is a day that we honor the sacrifice, the blood, the lives that were lost to keep the country alive. First of all, during the Civil War, the battle first for the Republic, and then the battle to end slavery, which it certainly was. And that's a reminder that that's what this Memorial Day was conceived as. A, a, a holiday to honor the men who had fallen to break the chains and to put down the rebellion, which was, of course, about slavery. So you cannot disconnect that history from the history of this day. 
it grew out of the ashes of the Civil War, and specifically those men, mostly men, there were women too, who died fighting to end the rebellion and to end slavery in America. And, course, and I even, that- you know, I start off the show uh, telling us the, the truth, which is that it were it was the African Africans who dug up the black men and women who died, who were put in the mass graves, who unearthed those mass graves and gave them proper burials and then celebrated them and gave them a parade. They were the first to create a Memorial Day, which America then doing what America does, jumping on the energies and spirits of black people to do a thing. That's just how I'm seeing it as I'm listening to buy it. And I'm struggling right now because I have completely changed my view. You know, I was somebody that would say the pledge of allegiance, have my hand over my heart. I can tell you all of that. As I went to college, I might've, you know, felt differently about that flag, but I never felt disrespectful towards it. But I don't know what America is today and I struggle, but I'm happy that we can have a Memorial day primarily because black people decided to honor their, their ancestors. That is certainly part of the history of this day in 1865. Um, those uh, emancipated children, mostly led by missionaries, went uh, went out and reburied the remains of Union soldiers in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, this was uh, something that was discovered a few years ago by a historian. I've I've referenced it in my writing about Memorial Day as well. So so wait, in- so pause, so pause. My whole life, my whole life, I never knew this story. And and so, again, it's like, what else don't we know? My whole entire life, I never knew the black connection to B- Memorial Day. Of course, I've had many people in my family serve in the military. No one died during battle. So, you know, but, you know, we celebrated with the cookouts and all of this. We we I never knew the black the black connection to it until actually Saturday. <laughs> well, Karen, I can make the same connection because we're seeing so much about it. This year, something else I've written about in the past and written about for many years, we're getting a national conversation about what happened in Tulsa 100 years ago. Um, I wrote about that and don't know much about history quite a while ago. Uh, One of those pieces of America's what I call hidden history. And it underscores the fact and we're having this debate at very serious levels about there are have always been two versions of American history, one white, one black, separate and unequal. Um, historians like myself and David Blight and many others down there, going back to John Hope Franklin, the grandfather uh, of historians who wanted to introduce uh, black history as American history, um, have have been fighting this battle for a long time. And of course, the 1619 Project came along uh, uh, two years ago and woke a lot of people up to what was going on. And now we're getting this incredible pushback uh, against the 1619 Project. And uh, as you well know, I'm sure, uh, 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 Hannah Nicole Jones was just denied tenure at the University of North Carolina. So this is part of a, of a much larger question, why this piece of our history, our United States of America history has been left out. We're just beginning to scratch the surface of 
of um, uncovering much of that. I know you and I have had, had conversations for several years about Juneteenth. Mm -hmm. um, Juneteenth is now much more widely recognized than it was just a few years ago. And last year in particular, it, it got noticed. So this is something that a lot of historians uh, and I, I include myself as in their wake, uh, writing about this and talking about this for a long time. And I think it's finally starting to take hold in a lot of places, but of course it's generating an extraordinary pushback. But I think that, you know, as I mentioned, this holiday was born out of this struggle. And absolutely the, the ceremony that you mentioned was significant. The ceremony uh, in 1868, which was the first sort of semi-official Memorial Day, although it was then called Decoration Day, a day on which sold, uh, people were supposed to go out and decorate the graves of the fallen soldiers with flesh, fresh flowers, May 30th, 1868. That was a day, if you go and read the proclamation that this fellow named General John Logan wrote, he spoke specifically uh, about those who had fallen to break the chains of slavery. So that's what was at the heart of Memorial Day, Decoration Day's commemoration from the beginning. Over time, of course, that piece of the story got diminished by time, got diminished by white historians. And of course, by the turn of the, uh, of the 20th century, Memorial Day, what was called Decoration Day, had largely been forgotten. We should also mention, by the way, that most of the Confederate states had their own separate Decoration Day or Memorial Day, some of which still continue to this day, Confederate Memorial Day, because this was the day in which they actually wouldn't allow Southern families to come into Arlington National Cemetery where um, some Confederate soldiers were buried. It was considered, uh, you know, that uh, deeply divisive and partisan. Uh, this was a day to celebrate the Union's victory. Mm. over the rebellion, over the traitors, over the, the enslavers who had wanted to break away. So that's a, an important part of the history of this day that has somewhat been diminished because we do want to think about in all the successive wars, World War I, a little over 100 years ago, of course, uh, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, all of the conflicts that the United States has been involved with, we now say Memorial Day honors all those who have given what Abraham Lincoln called the last full measure of devotion in the Gettysburg Address. And people always ask me, well, what should I do on Memorial Day? And I said, well, the, the one thing, if you do nothing else, read the Gettysburg Address, very short, it's less than 300 words, and it explains what this day is about. And I think that's the point that I really want to come to when I think about Memorial Day this year, because we are in still in a struggle for the Republic, for the life of the Republic and for the life of democracy. And that's the struggle we face right now. You know, when Joe Biden was inaugurated, he said democracy had prevailed and indeed it had for the moment. Um, but he has since said many times, democracy is still in a battle. And he was talking about autocracy around the world, uh, for instance, with the Chinese. But as we know, and we're seeing it every day in the headlines. Democracy is under assault repeatedly and constantly in this country 
right now. And it's not something that started five years ago. This has been an ongoing process from the very beginning. It's gotten worse in many ways over the last 20 years. And now we are at the real, uh, a real breaking point of which way the country is going to go if we allow these uh, voter suppression laws that are being sought by Republican uh, majorities in these state legislatures to really cancel out the votes and the voices of the people. And it is an extraordinarily dangerous moment. And I don't, um, I'm not, uh, <laughs> I'm not optimistic. On the other hand, I am, uh, I'm looking for ways to which we can all say this cannot be. We cannot talk about honoring these heroes who died in the past for some uh, idealistic <laughs> notion of democracy right. without saying we have to honor what they died for. And that was what Lincoln said in Gettysburg, a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And that's what we still must keep fighting for. And that's what I'm thinking about and reflecting on this Memorial Day. Listen, uh, taxation without representation didn't end well uh, for for tyranny, and it won't end well now. Uh, so they, they do this at their own peril. There won't be an America if this continues. That's my prediction. Well, you know, Karen, I've just written a book uh, called Strong Man about how quickly democracy can die around uh, throughout history. Uh, specifically, I wrote about Mussolini and Hitler, for instance, who were in democracies. They weren't men who came to uh, power at the head of an army. Uh, Mussolini was the elected member of the Italian parliament in uh, 1922. Uh, Hitler was the uh, leader of a party that had seats in the German parliament at the time called the Reichstag. They were both given extraordinary power in democracies, they quickly, very quickly, turn those democracies into one party dictatorships, totalitarian dictatorships, with, of course, disastrous results for millions of people. Democracy does not die in darkness, as the Washington Post would have it. Uh, democracy often dies in broad daylight with thousands of people uh, screaming uh, in right alongside these dictators and autocrats who say, I can solve all the problems. We have to get rid of these people who are, are bringing us down. And we saw democracy under assault in daylight on January 6th. And there are clearly people who would like us to forget about that. And so we have to keep up the battle if we think it's worth winning. I don't know. If, all right. Well, I won't give my opinion. Kenneth C. Davis is here. I also want to thank you. There was a great documentary, High on the Hog, that I watched on Netflix. And I knew I knew Hercules because of you. Uh, I knew, uh, of course, when you talk about Ona Judge and, and a bunch of others in the Shadow of Liberty is the name of that book, which is amazing. The audio book is incredible, which I also downloaded. So you, you've been telling stories that nobody was talking about. And now, you know, certain, so I was like smiling because I was like, oh, Kennedy Davis talked about uh, these folk who were enslaved by our presidents. Um, and so I know these people. Thank you. So I just wanted to say that publicly to you as well. 
Well, you know, Karen, you mentioned don't know much about history. You know, it's it is more than 30 years ago. That book asked the question, how do these men who write these words, all men are created equal, life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness and then struggle and make sacrifices to make those words come true for themselves and their ilk. How do those men really go back to those plantations and homes entirely dependent upon enslaved labor? It's the great contradiction in America. American history than a nation conceived in liberty, again, as Lincoln said, um, was also born in chains. And I've spent much of my career, especially in, in 30 years of writing uh, the Don't Know Much About series, in trying to answer that question. And when I tried to answer it for a long time, I was thinking about it in terms of what those men said and did and wrote. And so with in the shadow of liberty, I wanted to look at it from the perspective of the people who they had enslaved. And those stories, um, uh, you mentioned uh, Ona Judge uh, and Hercules, these were people owned and enslaved by George Washington, both of them, by the way, who escaped. Um, very rare instances of, of people who got away from George Washington. Uh, and, and that's such an important piece of our history that we cannot keep it in the shadows. And that's, that's truly why I wrote this book. Why did this man named Isaac Granger, who later at the end of his life adds the name Jefferson, uh, so people would know that he was once the servant of Thomas Jefferson. Why would he do that? Why would he uh, hold Thomas Jefferson in such high esteem? A man born enslaved probably in 1776, the year that the Declaration of Independence is written. We don't even know that because uh, uh, Isaac Granger's birthday is not known because like, uh, as Frederick Douglass wrote in the narrative, he never met a slave who knew his birthday. Um, and that's one of the reasons that these people were in the shadow. They weren't considered people. You, people don't, uh, they weren't people, so they didn't have birthdays. Um, that's how we negate humanity. Mm -hmm. And so the historian's job and many other historians uh, before me and, and working today are trying to bring the story of that humanity back to light. I think one of the problems that we have is when we talk about slavery in an academic sense or teach about it in school, we talk about propositions and amendments and emancipation and these big words, and we don't get the human story. But this is essentially the, the story of 12 million people taken from Africa, 4 million people in America at the beginning of the Civil War in 1860 in, in slavery. Uh, so this is such an important part of our history. It's a part of the Constitution. We understand that this three-fifths agreement that was made to protect and keep the Constitution alive, the idea that the enslaved would be counted for the purpose of the census as three-fifths of a person was a compromise that was written into the Constitution. So slavery was constitutional. That three-fifths, by the way, people hear about it and they think, well, yeah, what did that really mean? It means that Virginia, which had fewer free white people than Massachusetts or Pennsylvania, had the largest population in 1790 if you counted the enslaved population, even only counting them as three-fifths of a person. That meant they had the most seats in Congress, and that meant they had the most 
electors in the presidential electoral system. So four of the first five presidents are slaveholders from Virginia. Five of the first seven presidents are slaveholders. Uh, 10 of the first 15 presidents are slaveholders or were uh, sympathetic to the slaveholding South. So you cannot discuss our history on, a, on a, even a historic day when we're talking about sacrifice of people. And of course, many black men and women died in service to the country, including in the revolution, including in the civil war. And those faces were also written largely out of the history books, but we have to understand that role in our history to understand where we are today. Kenneth C. Davis, I may have met you on the 10th anniversary of Don't Know Much About History, uh, but you have indelibly made your mark here on, on the Karen Hunter Show and beyond. And I want to thank you for always showing up with the goods. And as history changes, so do you. And I appreciate all of the work that you put in. Uh, you're amazing. Thank you for being thank here. Thank you, Karen. I, I know how important the vote has been to you. We've worked on it together over many years. So I know that you are keeping up the good fight. Thank you. All right. We'll Happy see Memorial. you. We'll see you. We'll see you. Kenneth C. Davis, don't know much about Kenneth C. Davis. Uh, follow him on Twitter. Don't know much.com is where you can get his books as well. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to the Karen Hunter show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.